Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Kat Green, a producer and renaissance woman hailing from Brooklyn, New York. The managing director and executive in charge of production for Lady Parts Justice League, Kat is also the founder and producer of Spy Girl Pictures. With Matt, she talks about LPJL and how she got involved with them, and what it was like to work on The Justice League We Deserve, a short film about protecting reproductive rights. She talks about going on tour with them, the importance of getting accurate information about abortion out to the masses, and how the group uses comedy to spread awareness and outreach about abortion. And so, from the subject of art, to mass media, to the importance of escapism, here's presenting Matt Storm and Cat Green. And welcome to another episode of Autographs. My guest this week is the incredible Cat Green. Cat, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me over. So, Cat, um, I connected with through Wasabosco, as a lot of my great relationships in the industry, as it were. Um, and uh, can you tell? So, first of all, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Say what you do at Lady Parts Justice League and what it is. Sure thing. Um, I'm the managing director and executive in charge of production at Lady Parts Justice League, and we are a nonprofit that is a cross between the USO and Habitats for Humanity for independent abortion clinics. Wow, that's so great. And were you guys at one point just called Lady Parts Justice? Well, there's two organizations. Oh, there are two organizations. So Lady Parts Justice was first, and that's a 501c4, so it's allowed to do like directly political actions and address candidates, um, uh, come out uh, either for or against candidates who are running for office. Um, And then in 2015, uh, the C3 was started. We got a fiscal sponsor and we had um, a major donor who wanted to flesh it out as a 501c3. And um, it's let us do a lot more uh, far-reaching programmatic work that... um, is funded by foundations, so. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, like, I know the most recent thing you guys did is you put together a little PSA video, very 90s thing that I loved, um, that brought in a lot of talent that we both know. Where did the idea for that video, that informational video, come from? Well, since the C3 is Lady Parts Justice League and the Justice League movie was coming out, it, it, and as a, a giant nerd, I couldn't not make a superhero <laughs> video. Um, and it was a good opportunity to make something about everyday superheroes, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of what we do. It's like right. we recruit volunteers to help out the clinics with their everyday skills. So That's awesome. What was the casting and shooting of that like? Um, it was a little bonkers because we had uh, we had a few weeks to prep it, but uh, Ariel had just come on as our production coordinator. It was right. her first. It was her first shoot with us, and it was definitely like the most complicated thing we've done in terms of casting and costumes and graphics and everything. And so, um, uh, fortunately, we have a lot of friends who are you know both uh, visually impressive and uh, have all sorts of like fancy skills like one of the girls we had in it was doing backflips yeah uh, as a clinic escort and so um 
we got Sydney Devereaux in to be Drilltronic, and uh, Kita St. Cyr was in it as yes. one of our uh, clinic workers, and um, it was just a whole mishmash of our friends that we got to come out. It was great. Was there just like a casting call and people just showed up and they were cast? Or Oh, no. We reached out to people. Yeah. You just uh, asked for specific... Like, you yeah. wanted Sydney Devereaux to be Drilltronic? Yeah. I mean, it works. I mean, the the funny... You know, basically, we were looking for any excuse to use Sydney for something. Because, <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, Liz met her for the first time when we were on tour in Chicago. It happened to be the first Chicago show that they were doing, mm. um, and they didn't know we were in town. And so, uh, you know, when she met her for the first time, it was just like, just sort of staring at her in wonder. Yeah, know? of course. <laughs> She's a, a visually impressive person, yeah. and, and a... Um... She has a, a stature and a presence about herself, so it mm-hmm. makes sense to cast her in that role. And she's a total badass. Yes, you know? absolutely, totally. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So, how long have you been with Lady Parts Justice League? Um, I started doing production work with them uh, in between my freelance work in uh, let's see, October of. 2015 mm-hmm. and then I came on as managing director in August of 2016 nice yeah and so um, did you approach them did they approach you was um, it just some kind of a mutual thing the way I found them was uh, I had actually had two miscarriages with an IUD oh, within geez. six months oh, man. and uh, the first time I was upset the second time I was furious sure. and it was right as Pervy Patel was getting sentenced yeah. so she's a woman who uh, was sent to prison for a self-induced abortion um, and they charged her with feticide and sh- uh, they, they've overturned it since then but so when I found out about that story in the middle of everything I was like wait so now maybe you can go to jail for her having a miscarriage um, and then I was furious I was like I will be a coyote for women that need abortions and then right. I started looking more into it and realizing how hard it was for people to access abortions Abortions already. Um, and so I was complaining loudly about it on the internet, and my friend Jen Glick was like, You need to meet Liz Winstead. <laughs> and, and so um, she put us in touch, and they were super busy at the time. It took a few months for us to actually connect, but I knew that they were making videos, and I was like, Look, this is I, this is what I do in my sleep. Like, yeah. I can help you guys out. And so I started out just like a couple days here and there helping out with uh, edits and shoots, and then it expanded and then it expanded again. <laughs> Isn't that the way with certain day jobs is like you find that you're just doing it when you can until it becomes mm-hmm. the thing you do? Yeah. Well, you know, the funniest was like when I was still just freelancing with them uh, and I was wedging it in between network work. So like my high paying network work and then like the thing I was really passionate about inside mm-hmm. for a fraction of the money. But um, I was on another job when... Uh, when Formation came out. Uh, and we, I, I, it was killing me that yeah. I wasn't in the office with everybody. Right, of course, I was sure. like, why am I trapped in this windowless room in the Viacom <laughs> building, you know? And it's like, the longer I was away from them, the more I, it's all I wanted to be doing, so. And so is it now your main main thing that you're uh, doing? It is, it is, well, it is expanded to fill all of the cracks of my life, yes. <laughs> um, and But you also do some independent work still. Um, so you do film and production stuff on your own, under your own site as well, right? Oh, right. So I have my own production company. I actually, I used to have a couple. I uh, had like the U.S. arm of a, an organization called Causeway Pictures, mm-hmm. and then uh, they're an Irish production company. And then I have my own company, Spy Girl Pictures. Right. And um, so, yeah, I haven't been producing anything 
for hire in uh, uh, basically all of my projects now are just sort of fun things with friends because mm-hmm. it's like things I really want to be doing. So it's like it needs to be visually spectacular and um, and a lot of fun and it's a good excuse to hang out with friends. Sure. Um, you know, really all I ever wanted to do was make musicals and now it's like, well, now I'm helping people and that's way more important. <laughs> so, right. sure. so if I'm going to be working when I'm not working, I want it to be a lot of fun. And so do you have any projects currently underway for Spy Girl? Uh, yeah, I'm actually building a spaceship in my basement right that's now. That's right. Um, to do a sci-fi web series with Wasabasco. Excellent. Yes, I remember I saw Doc posting pictures about that. Mm-hmm. And so how did that connection happen? How did you, because, you know, I've been working with Wasabasco for, God, has it really been over six years already? <laughs> um, for a long time as a DJ and a helper. Um, but how did you make that connection? So we have always had a ton of people in common. I used to be a member of Collective Unconscious on Ludlow Street. Okay. And um, so Nasty and I crossed paths a bunch there. We had a ton of friends in common. I mean, I started out there in like 2000 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Alex Colby Mm -hmm. went to high school with Doc. Right. Kaylee Clemens is a good friend of mine from Open Mic for a long time. She had known Doc since college. And then when I did the relaunch of my company, I did a big spy-themed show. Well, like a a big party during Tribeca a few Mm -hmm. years ago. Um, And Larissa had actually said, you should get Nasty to do burlesque for it. So Nasty and Doc were at my company launch party, and she performed. But we didn't really talk. But then Kaylee was there helping me with the whole thing. And Alex was there taking photos. (laughs) And then Alex was like, wait. How do you guys not know each other? So then we became friends online, but because we're all so antisocial, it actually took several years for us to start hanging out. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, like at one point, Doc and I both joked, I'm like, wow, we're like glaciers at opposite ends of Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so um, I started coming to shows like once or twice a year. Right. And then, But then we had been talking online so much. And at one point he wanted to start doing video projects. And I was like, you know, that's what I do, right? <laughs> like, I, can, I can help you with this. I can do that thing. Yeah. Well, I figured that the connection was Alex Colby because, uh, you know, it's funny. For all of his photo projects that I follow very closely, you're featured in almost every one of them. <laughs> so I was like, they must know each other beyond just knowing each other through... Oh. Through being passing ships in the night. Alex is one of my best friends in the world. He's actually, I'm. he and I dated a long time ago, 99 to 2000-ish. Uh, so he and I met when we were bouncers at a gay bar in Chicago. Nice. And, um, and we dated briefly, and I moved out here shortly after he moved out here. We broke up pretty soon after I, I moved out here, but... Yeah. Um, you know, now he's family. Like, yeah. we've just been friends for almost 20 years. So That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. He's phenomenal. I eventually want to have him on the show. He's been a little elusive in recent years well, doing he, his own thing. Yeah. And he, he was just, like, in Oregon for a few months. But... Yeah. Well, you know, because, I mean, there was a point where he was at every show. Like, mm-hmm. I saw him all the time. And then slowly as he started working on other projects and other things started to grow, yeah. I saw him less. But uh, he... I think the greatest crime against humanity I ever made him commit is I used to have shoulder-length hair, and when I wanted to cut it, 
I decided I wanted to cut it all off. And he did it and then said, never come to me again. Oh, no. <laughs> he's like, he's like, it was in jest, of course. But he's like, if you want a short haircut, go to some barber shop. Like, I love you, but I'm styling your hair. I'm not going to just trim it down. But Sarah, my wife, Sarah, still continued to go to him for a while. But it was very funny. And there's this great photo series on my personal Facebook of, like, him just cutting my hair and looking pained and cutting it all off, which is, you know, legit. I shaved Alex's head once. Did you really? Yeah. I can't even imagine him with a shaved head. It was really funny. Yeah. He, it was when he was moving to New York, and he was like, yeah, just fuck it, buzz it. I was like, okay. Sure, why yeah, not? Yeah, in his old apartment in Chicago. Nice. Um, and so um, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on, besides just knowing you, you know, through Wasabosco for as long as I had, is because I'm fascinated about Lady Parts Justice and just all of the work they're doing. Um, how involved, so now that you're, it's become the thing that you do, how involved are you in the day-to-day? What kind of stuff are you working on? Everything. Everything? Um, yeah, uh, if, if Liz is the engine, I steer, nice. <laughs> basically. Um, and for a while, you know, we were pretty shorthanded, and so I had sort of absorbed a number of jobs. And now it's sort of parceled out. We've hired on enough people, and we have, like, a really amazing team right now. Um, so it's great because now I'm actually able to focus on like strategizing how to make the company work better and make us more effective and get us more places and make sure that we're, we're doing what the clinics need us to be doing. Sure. Um, you know, for a long time it was just like making sure all of the work was done and just getting on top of that. And so now, um, it's great. We've actually grown a lot in the last year. And how do you develop your partnerships with the clinics? Well, Is there um, an outreach that you guys do or that they do to you? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. We're members of an organization called the Abortion Care Network, and we also work with the National Abortion Federation, um, mm. and they both help out independent clinics in different ways. Uh, NAF does a lot more security-based things and also helps people make sure that they are up to whatever the local uh, requirements are for clinics because they're different from most medical facilities they're put under you know each state has a whole list of sometimes completely absurd restrictions that they put on them and so Mm -hmm. now helps them keep track of what's changed and what they need to be doing and then also helps them uh with their security and acn um is sort of a network for resources and vetting it's it it they're both sort of uh being a member of one or the other is a mark of being uh, a more vetted clinic, you know, because yeah. it's hard to keep track. Um, most people know Planned Parenthood, but Planned Parenthood only provides like 30% of the abortions that happen in the country. Right. So um, so our programs director, uh, Amber, she reaches out to clinics, um, and we try and keep an eye on what states are hit particularly hard by local restrictions. And then we've, it, since we went on tour, um, a lot of clinics have reached out to us to be like, hey, we need help. And so uh, we were recently in Milwaukee checking out a clinic that we're definitely stopping back at mm-hmm. on tour. Um you know, just because they were like, we have this laundry list of things that we need. Can you help us? And sometimes we can't help them, but we know the people that can. And so sure. we've become this kind of matchmaker for people to get the help that they need. And so when you guys go on tour, what does that entail? Because obviously I'm sure it's not like a, a, a band going on tour. It's a lot like a band Is going it? on tour, actually. Um, so we do comedy shows, live comedy shows and sometimes oh, okay. some music. 
And that's originally what this started out as. It was like gotcha. a, a humorous and fun way to address the problems. Well, and to, and it's turned into a community building sure. thing. So we do the comedy show and then we have a provider talk back afterwards at oh, the nice. end of the show. And, and then we ask people to sign up to volunteer. And so it's especially great when we go to places that... Um, that are extremely conservative because there's a lot of closeted progressives out there. Mm -hmm. And so we've had shows where like people have come up to me and said, I, that's my neighbor. And I didn't know I could talk to her about this. Or like, I honestly didn't think that there were this many people that I would want to talk to in my town. That's incredible. And so, um, and then we try and leave these little networks of support locally everywhere we go. That's amazing. And then we keep in touch with them. Well, yeah, I remember that there was definitely a focus on humor, at least somewhat, because the first time I think I ever met you uh, was at a show that Wasabasco did. I think it was their Feminist Agendas show. Were you guys at that one? Yeah. Yeah, yes. we tabled at that. And you tabled at that. And mm -hmm. so I remember we were at that, and I was DJing that show, and my wife was so excited because she got a variety of patches that had vaginas or <laughs> fallopian tubes or whatever else on them and was so excited about them. We have all new patches, too. <laughs> um, and so I think, I think it's brilliant to kind of take something that people don't know a lot about and put it and, and, you know, pair it with something that people will go see and check out so they feel comfortable going to see it. And, like, the thing you're talking about with, like, closeted conservatives and, and whoever else or, you know, people who are, are liberal but are afraid to talk, you know, speak out about it, that you're bringing this community together is really interesting. Do you guys have a social media community as well? Yeah. We have, um, we have a social media team that's really great. And... Um, it's a combination of Facebook and and YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and um, it's it's slightly different on each platform sure, too, who we're able to reach um, and we're always sort of tweaking the formula of like how to get to different audiences and stuff so um, but yeah we have oh god I don't actually know what our numbers are it's changed so much in the last year and usually I'm not the person giving the the figures but um it's it's grown a ton in the last couple of years and uh we've gotten a lot of press too so sure. that helps build our social numbers and um it's been good because a lot of the standard places that we would expect you know progressive women to be hanging out uh they already know something about us now and so now the goal is really to reach out to places that don't know anything about us and and to sort of open up the conversation and destigmatize talking about abortion in general because sure. even pro-choice people are afraid to say that they're pro-abortion Right. The, the <laughs> word itself has a stigma, mm -hmm. sort of the same way racism does now. Like, it's it's bad to be racist, but it's not an impossible thing to change. Mm -hmm. You could be racist and still learn to not be racist. Yeah. And this idea that racism, abortion, and so many other things have negative connotations beyond what the word means. Like, people think it's a, a branding and that you can't get around these words and that they're ugly words, you know, and all of that stuff. And so I think being able to share that kind of information is super important and make people feel comfortable. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm still sort of dumbstruck by how many people within the, uh, the reproductive health movement are afraid to say abortion. Yeah. Um, but it's changing, you know, but like we need to we need to make people feel safe enough that they can go slightly past their comfort level. Right. Do you feel like this past year um, has made it harder, easier, or both? <laughs> both? Yeah. Um, the week after the election. So before the election, 
we were not doing as much hands-on stuff at clinics. We had sure. done a couple a couple trips like that where we went and like painted a fence and and did some clinic escorting. There had been a few trips, but this year with the tour was the first time we really doubled down on that, and that was because after the election, um, we got 700 new volunteer signups in a week. Wow. And uh, people saw us as a point of entry for volunteering in ways that were not stuffing envelopes or, you know, they're like, oh, you make weird art and you make videos and you're funny and like I could do some part of this. And so then we we were just looking at everybody's skill set and trying to match them up with people we knew that were looking for things. And that became its own job, you know. So now we have like a volunteer coordinator. Um, But so it's been great in terms of building numbers um and getting people more motivated to be active and like and and a little bit more aggressive about it but it's also been brutal you know of course um there's a lot more haters you know there's we had protesters at some of our shows on tour um like we had people show up in birmingham we had people show up in little rock uh, and that's, you know, we you expect protesters at the clinics. You don't expect them at a comedy show right, with yeah, giant, like, you know, like aborted a, fetus signs. Like, what is that? Good? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, th- those groups are not known for their logic anyway. Uh, yeah, but, you know, they're really well organized and of they're course. really well funded. I know. And the yeah. big disadvantage that we have is that um, anti-choice organizations have the church as a built-in mechanism for meeting up weekly with your neighbors to have an investment in a common idea and we don't have anything like that because there isn't there isn't a weekly regular occurring thing that is cross-denominational or right uh, or non-denominational that makes people build community locally in that kind of invested way and so you know we're trying to do that as best we can as a group of 11 people plus you know you know, the nice people who decide to go on tour with us. Right. <laughs> like, is that something that you're thinking about investing in in the future, trying to create that kind of a community more local? Like, yeah. Like, where I, people get together and, and discuss this stuff? Definitely. What we're trying to do is give people models of uh, direct action and, and excuses to meet up locally more regularly. So these little groups of people that come out of every show have an excuse to get together a month or two months later yeah. and do something and have something that they feel like they're moving forward with. In addition to just helping out the clinic, like an excuse to have those people meet up and talk about their local politics. Mm-hmm. So that's what the C4 mostly focuses on now, right. especially as we're going into an election year. Yeah, of course, for sure. Um, do you find that because, you know, you got so involved in this and now it's kind of taken over your main focus, does it affect how you consume the media around you? Yes. I would. I mean, I knew, the, I knew the answer before I asked it as someone who also has been more involved in stuff. Before I let you answer, as mm-hmm. a white man who presents as straight, um, because I married a woman, right. um... I've learned a lot from the burlesque community over the last six years. Mm-hmm. Like, as far as, especially just as far as something as basic as sexual harassment goes, mm-hmm. I never saw it because I was a guy. Mm-hmm. And then the minute I started friending burlesque performers, the constant complaints online, seeing interactions on the street, and yeah. just the awareness of just that. Like, I'm, I have to imagine that for you, working so d- deeply and closely and having experienced what you've experienced, that it must have changed a ton of the media that you consume. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, um, 
as it's interesting because I got more deeply involved in feminism uh, while we're uh, at the same time through two different ways. Right. Because sort of in parallel, I was working with Lady Parts Justice and I was becoming friends with the burlesque community sure. right around the same time. Right. And so it was great because it was two very different approaches to feminism, mm-hmm. but it massively changed how I view media. You know, I'm a person who always, like, I grew up obsessed with musicals and mm-hmm. horror movies, right? Sure. <laughs> and then I worked in production for 20 years. Uh, and so it's... Um, so that's the sexual harassment angle of all of this too. You know, Liz and I both have worked with a number of the people in the media who, who are now who problem. are now going down. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's you know, I got to a point about a year and a half ago where I just never needed to watch or read anything else about blowhard dudes. Yeah. Like I just. It, that was like it lost all all interest for me, and then and then I hit the point where it's like okay. Why does there always have to be a love interest? Why why is everything about a woman falling in love? Yeah. And then yeah. it was like, okay, what are the different ways that women can be strong? You know, mm-hmm. that's that's one of the newer hurdles for me where it's like, okay, yes, everybody loves to see a woman kick ass on screen, but then that gets really two-dimensional now. Sure. And, and so it's like, you know, we, we never had good examples. I was so frustrated when the Wonder Woman movie came out. It was so, we went to see Wonder Woman it was the first day of our tour. Oh, wow. Before it was the day before our show, and we were in Atlanta, and so me and a couple of the women I work with all went to see it. And you know, most of them did not even want. They were there for me. Right. <laughs> like, they were not so interested. They knew I was excited, and I was very hesitant because I didn't really think it was going to be good. And it was just good enough that I was furious that it wasn't better. Sure. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's because you're steep. Whereas I I went to see it, and I went to see it with my wife. And she was overcome by it because, from her perspective, there's never been a movie like this. So it's at right. least a step in the right direction. And for me, right. also, like, I I didn't realize what I was missing in my female-led movies until I saw that movie. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even a perfect example. Mm-hmm. But, like, just with the trailers for Justice League and the several upskirt shots and the Amazons showing their midriff, and I'm like... Really? Why? Like, why? Yeah. Like, there's n- literally no reason for it. You know, yeah. it's like it's, my my good example of my my feminist awakening for nerdy properties is like if you look at Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow in Iron Man Two versus her in Avengers. Mm-hmm. You know, where she was just this object to Tony Stark mm-hmm. to becoming the main focal point of one of the storylines mm-hmm. and like being one of the stronger characters. We're not going to talk about what they did to her in Avengers Two. It's fine. <laughs> It's not a perfect medium. But like getting seeing those things and not having seen them before or like me, I'm always someone who I played a lot of video games mm-hmm. growing up and I didn't care the gender of the protagonist. I just wanted a good story. And I found that in games where I could create my own protagonist, most of the time I played as a female character mm-hmm. because A the voice acting was always better. Mm-hmm. The female performance was always better. But also even before that, it's just it was something different for me. I got mm-hmm. to experience things a little bit different, even if they weren't completely different, um, because it still was mostly men making a lot of games for a long time. But I found with this year specifically, I'm playing a lot of games with cartoon characters that are male or female, because I can't deal with the reality of like things that are 
I'm seeing the flaws in. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm playing the new Mario game because it's Mario. He's almost non-gendered in this way that he's a cartoon character. And it's about fun and brightness and even in its darkest moments. You need escapism. Like, I I got to a point where I need... That was the other thing that changed in my media consumption was I needed to have some hope. I can't Mm -hmm. watch Black Mirror. I'm like, no, it's too close to life. Why would I do that to myself? No, yeah. (laughs) I gave up on a lot of dramas because they were just making me anxious Mm -hmm. and upset. And I need to to like a character. Like... Mm -hmm. It can't just be anti-heroes. You need, no. you know. But the the trend in in better representation for women also just made me like hugely aware of how important representation is in general uh-huh. for gender, for sexuality, for race, for everything. Mm-hmm. And and so I mean, and that's actually come into play with the videos that we make because we're really trying hard to have a much better representation of who shows up and stuff because we're telling stories for everybody even if it's just a PSA it's like it's so important yeah people want to see themselves right and 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 that and that trickles down to like our writing team too like it's we always have to be mindful of like what we're including and why because we're making it for everybody and it's not it's not helpful to leave anybody out of the conversation Sure. Well, I mean, that's why I struggle with nerd, nerd, finger quote, nerd culture in general, just because of, I mean, with the new Star Wars as an example and the reactions people want to get removed from the canon and like, you can't just be a fan of anything anymore. You either have to hate it or you have to love it. And that bums me out. Mm -hmm. Like, I liked The Last Jedi. I thought it was a good movie. It had its flaws, but movies have flaws. Yeah. Fine. You know, like... I don't mind people generating discussion and talking about them. But when someone goes online and goes, this was shit, don't see it. I mean, why was it shit? Like, I always used to get into fights with people who would say, because I'm a music nerd first and foremost, and my flagship podcast is a music podcast. I would get mad at people who would say, Nickelback sucks. Because you're not (laughs) telling me anything. You're not saying why. Right. What don't you like? Like, is Chad Kroger a bad singer? Is their uh, instrumentation repetitive? Are the guitar lines oversimplified? Like, that tells me something. But when people just go, oh, that band, they suck. Like, when people would write off Justin Bieber, I was like... I get it. You don't like him. And a lot of his music I didn't like. But to just say he sucks without mm-hmm. explaining... Like, create... There's no discourse in this country and in the world anymore. It's just, I hate it. I love it. I don't have to tell you why. And that drives me bonkers. A good friend of mine, um, uh, he and I often wind up... He's on the West Coast, and we often wind up talking online late at night uh, if one of us is up. And so we were just... It was before the election, but we were talking about how bad people have gotten at having a disagreement. Yeah. Like, nobody could have civilized disagreements anymore. And so he pointed me at an old PBS show about the about constitutional law. And, like, Scalia's in it, and, like, Gerald Ford's in it at some point. It's like, it, it was on PBS in the 70s or maybe early 80s. And... It's amazing because it's all these people that you think of as having like diametrically opposite opinions, but they're having such a civilized conversation about right, it. You know, yeah. and it's like, God, why can't anybody do that anymore? You like, know, it's important to have people with different viewpoints because otherwise your opinions would never change and nothing would ever grow. And yeah, it's getting well. I mean, also social media isn't helping with that. Like, you can just block whoever you don't agree with. And like, yeah. for me, of course, I didn't realize how much of a vacuum I was in until tr- Trump won, and I shared something in regards to how how re- it said blatantly, if you elected Trump, you're a racist. Which, mm-hmm. you know, 
after the fact, I'm like, no, that's not necessarily a fact. It's you elected a raceless racist and you're ignoring race. Um, but I share that and my aunt's husband commented on it saying, I'm not racist, you know, this and that. Like, we voted for him, but I have a Pakistani person who works for me and like, I'm this and that. And like, but it didn't become a discourse. It was then just defensive because he immediately felt attacked. Mm -hmm. And whether he's right or wrong, he immediately felt attacked. So, of course, he snapped back because mm -hmm. he cares about me and he doesn't want me to look at him as a villain. Right. And, like, I was like, and we had a civil discourse through it. And then eventually I deleted the post just because it was getting too long and other people were chiming in. But it was one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm not seeing the other side. I'm not seeing these people who have a different opinion. I mean, that's a huge part of why we decided to do the tour. Yeah. Because we wanted, well, so much of the middle of the country has just been forgotten. Yeah. And and we were all aware that we lived in a bubble, you know, in being in New York and mm -hmm. then, like, having people in Los Angeles or San Francisco or Seattle or Chicago. But, like, it was so important to try and connect to everybody else in the middle to the con and to be able to come back and have conversations with people to be like, you know that, like... <laughs> people's children get protested at their school right yeah. like this isn't it, it isn't just about logic and it's not and, and there are legitimate reasons why people in the middle of the country are pissed off sure but if nobody if people just write it off and don't even go and check it out and see why you know like what's happening in wichita why isn't there anybody in the middle of downtown in the middle of the day in the yeah. middle of a wednesday like it's not you know it doesn't do us any favors to just exist in the bubble. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, I think a perfect example to me of how toxic social media can be is like Trump, Trump, for, for all his problems, he's a figurehead and he has a platform on Twitter. And no matter what happens, he will always be putting on an act, even even if anything changes or he's swayed in any one direction, he's going to tweet what gets him retweets and what gets people noticed or what makes an effect, like what sends ripples. That's it. That's the point. And that's what our president has been reduced to is someone who tweets and complains on the Internet. P.T. Barnum for social media. Yeah, it's and, bullshit. And it's, and, it's, and, <laughs> and it's why, like, I've stopped. I, so I engage in social media very differently, especially now that I've been able to DJ more and host more and I'm doing more stuff in, in burlesque and parallel to burlesque. I don't really like I'll share some personal stuff on my personal page but like my Twitter is either for making jokes sharing social causes that I sh shouldn't be the main voice for and just boosting the voices who know what mm -hmm. they're talking about or you know just like for nonsense like I don't really get that personal on social media every once in a while on Facebook I'll post something personal but it's mm -hmm. like but mostly I'm posting at that point for reassurance to make sure I'm not crazy yeah you know it's not like I need you to convince me of something you know mm -hmm. Because it's just, it's become such a toxic place to talk about oh, yeah. anything. Yeah. I actually get pretty uh, personal on social media, but, um, you know, I always had been. Like, mm. I was always kind of an open book because I, you know, I thought I was going to be a lifelong production and art weirdo. And right. so I I didn't think, I, I never thought I would have any sort of, like, political sway. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also been really good because... I'm pretty, I don't really get like hot headed about having arguments online. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are the odd days where I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to go pick a fight with a stranger. But, <laughs> um, but really, like, I like that 
my whole family follows me on social media and like some of them really disagree with what I do but mm. we actually do have polite discourse you know like it's and they still follow me they haven't blocked me they're still right. interested in what I'm doing so they're listening to some degree yeah you know and yeah I've had family members unfriend me on Facebook because of my politics yeah especially right after the election because that's also why I do it less now is then I was very vocal and then and then I was starting fights on the internet that I didn't want to have and I realized yeah. I I'm not sharing, I'm sharing this to be heard, but the people I want to hear it are Aren't already there. know. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's why I started retweeting on Twitter more because I have randos who follow me who I have no idea who they are. Mm -hmm. And if they unfollow me, great. But that's a better place for me to get my voice out because yeah. it's less of a vacuum. It's still somewhat a vacuum, but it's mm -hmm. less than my Facebook is. Yeah. It's less, uh, it's less intentionally manipulated too. Right. That's uh, part of it as that's well. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I, one of the most polarizing things I realized um, and how I really, truly realized how broken Facebook was was when Pokemon Go first came out, I think it was at the same time that a, a, either a school shooting had happened or there was some kind of terrorist mm -hmm. attack mm -hmm. at the time. I don't remember. I'm, I'm blanking on specifically what the event was, but there was a great tragedy and Pokemon Go at the same time. And my entire feed was only those two things and nothing else. There was no in-between. Yeah. And that's when I realized, oh, Facebook's just showing me triggery news yeah. and what's the most popular thing right now. Yeah. And I was like, okay, now I can ignore half of these posts. Yeah. And, and and that's why I've pulled back a lot as well. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm as far as promoting shows and stuff, I've become kind of a social media whore because you have to yeah, you have to get to. through the noise. Yeah. But uh, but I'm I'm engaging it on a personal level, I think, a little less, or I'm trying to at least. Yeah. It's, I still have friends all over the place, though, and that's the hard thing. It's yeah. like it's the best way for me to keep it. We used to have IRC, you know, sure. or like mailing lists, and now it's like you got Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, and also a lot of my friends, they don't text me even though we have each other's phone number. They message me on Facebook Messenger because it's yeah. just easier it's well, it's faster and it's faster yeah. and 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 all of those things and so that's also very interesting to me is that it's kind of dominated like you could probably exist in the world without a phone number now yeah just with facebook i've got a few slack channels that's the happy it's i like, have slack channels it's like, too it's like going back to irc yeah but but with giphy I, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah i have a slack channel i have a whatsapp i yeah. have um what else i have a few yeah, different chat apps and it's thing. like like I, I love and hate mass text, and so like with with IRC, with I, what IRC used to be and what Slack is now, I still get a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. Like, but I find with Slack, people are using it less to just go, "Hey, what's up?" Like sometimes it's that, but if you're doing that, it's a personal message to the person. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're posting in a channel, it's you know either something random and funny or yeah. relevant or whatever, and so I find that to be more useful. Yeah. Um, it's funny. So when you're not fighting for the rights of women <laughs> and being a badass what do you do to unwind i know we talked about like your media changing since you yeah. um since you started to see things differently but are you still a big horror film nerd are you i am um i don't get to watch them very often because my husband doesn't really like horror movies and so we and we don't have a ton of this year we've watched a lot of media but I also, I, I make stuff with my hands. Like, that's actually the most gratifying thing for me to unwind because, like, you get to see visible progress. And it's sure. not just, like, pushing ideas around or pixels around. It's, like, um, so I sew and I build things. And I just brought my fryer truck back from, from Reno. So nice. I get to play with that in the spring. 
And uh, yeah, I used to make big, weird, fiery art. And then I was like, oh, God, this is really wasteful in a lot of ways. And so I still love big spectacle, but I don't really get to do it like that anymore. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of building stuff. <laughs> I feel like that's that's you kind of in this day and age, especially have to do that. Like mm-hmm. if I didn't have pod my I'm I'm doing three podcasts now, although one wow. of them's been on hiatus until and then they'll be it'll be back in twenty eighteen. But like if I wasn't making something, uh-huh. I would go crazy. And yeah. like even treating I'm treating DJing differently now that I have my own gear and I'm doing private events, like I'm I'm treating it more you know, I don't know that I'm ever gonna mix beats or make yeah. music as a DJ, but I like making playlists. I like curating an experience. Yeah. And I'm doing more of that now. That's cool. And like, I remember the week Trump get el- got elected, I created a This Is Why We Fight playlist <laughs> and like added a ton of fight songs on it and then shared it on the Watsabasco page and a bunch of people. I made a collaborative and a bunch of other people dumped music into it and I still go back to it every so often. That's awesome. Will you send me the link for that? I will send you awesome. that, yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things where like I was be- I was getting really angry and really mm-hmm. upset and I posted on it on Facebook saying, hey, does anyone else vent through music because mm-hmm. I do I vent through music a lot if I need to yeah. cry I listen to some sad music I cry yeah. and then I, I move on or I cry some more um, and so I was like I need something I need but I don't I can't just listen to fuck you songs all the time yeah. I want those songs too but I need other stuff and a ton of people like Rex Halligan did I believe Sydney posted a bunch of stuff um, um, uh, Paige posted a bunch of stuff and so that's been really great mm-hmm. like and so I'll go back to that playlist every so often and I'll absolutely send it to you that's great um, but uh, you know I think that having you know having art is so important right now I mean all of the mm-hmm. shows I saw right after he got elected you know the resistance shows and a ton of them still going on like seeing people use their art to express how they're feeling either in a funny way or a personal way mm-hmm. I think is is more cathartic and healing than anything else mm-hmm. and and you need hope you need escapism and hope yeah like that's always why i got into production in the first place was Mm -hmm. like that's what you know i barely had any friends growing up but i had lots of movies (laughs) (laughs) and 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 so like i i want that to continue you know when you think about like the history of musicals and when they became the most important to the public it was because people needed something glamorous and distracting (laughs) and um and i i think that's especially true now too like people need something to look forward to and something that like gets them excited and yeah you can't just sit and think about what's going on in media now it's why like for a long time i think it was over the summer i you know i was i had just lost my job and you know it was one of the many times Trump was on a tirade and like I just I had to tune out all of the news there was so much horrible things going on and I wanted to be informed but literally I couldn't walk out the door without being informed and so I just had to cut it all off like I couldn't keep absorbing it so I'm an I'm an empathic person and so I pull a lot from other people and so like being around people who are sad and then seeing all the sad stuff on the news like it was just too much to take I I have um I'm a very empathic person too it's one of the things that's gotten me through the last year is being able to redirect it into action. Mm-hmm. Like, because we can't stop paying attention to the news. We're not allowed to. Like, right, of course. Yeah, you it, have we're, to. We're churning it back out to people. So it's, um, but we've had a lot of conversations within the organization about like, 
how, what is your self-care going to be? Because you need to find a way to take in all this terrible news and turn it around. Yeah. So like, how do you become okay with it? How, you know, and like for me, you know, generally what we do is usually enough, but like when we were on the road, the thing that really got me through it was like picking up a shovel and a pickaxe and yeah. planting bushes and <laughs> right. stuff, you know? Doing like, something. Yeah. Like actually being able to see that I'm helping people right that minute, you know? Yeah. Like, there was definitely moments of physical labor that helped with that, too. I can't remember if it was before or after the election, but um, the way station was redoing part of their stage, and um, Doc yeah. and Andy were both working on yeah. it. And I just, I, it was when I was unemployed, I was like, can I just help? Mm -hmm. Like, pay me, don't pay me. Like, I want to come and do something. I'm like, mm -hmm. helping put pieces of wood together and mm -hmm. like putting screws into yeah. wood felt so good because I was building something mm -hmm. that's still there to this day. Every right. time I go to the way station, I see a thing that I worked on. I finally had, I, I kept saying I finally had sweat equity in a bar <laughs> that I worked at, <laughs> totally. uh, like I went to for so long. Yeah. Um, I mean, also like it's, for me, it's been harder this year. Like I, over the last couple of years, I gave up drinking. I don't really do any substances except coffee because mm -hmm. it's pretty much my blood at this point. <laughs> but like, I think that like I have, I, ha I had this great conversation with Doc about how I engage with the audience so differently now after not drinking at all. Like I don't wander the floor and like chat with everybody. Like I'll say hi to people. Like when I see you, I'll say hi, mm -hmm. but then I'll kind of just disappear back to the booth because I don't want to, I have trouble interacting with strangers mm -hmm. now. Like, I look at strangers differently. And I was always a very kind, friendly, and open person. I still am. But I have this anxiety about interacting with crowds that I never had before. Yeah. I, I developed that in my 20s. And then, um, and you know, drinking is definitely a way to sort of, like, socially lubricate. But yeah. it's... Um, since, like, my perspective has shifted so much in the last two years too that's been the other problem is like i engage with my friends differently yeah like what totally. i expect out of a friendship changed a lot yeah and um and so that is another challenge in like a sort of superficially social environment where yeah. it's like you don't want to have small talk especially if you're seeing people that you do know and want to have deeper conversation with then you're like well okay i guess we're just gonna sit here and yell and be interrupted you know? yeah. <laughs> like... yeah totally well yeah and also someone who doesn't really drink much anymore being in a bar is much harder like yeah like the last um littlefield show you were at it and like we chatted a little bit but then it wasn't until afterwards when we went to the taco place and right. me, you and doc and nasty are all hanging out there are others there as well too and like we're laughing and having a good time because it's a different social dynamic than yeah. being in a crowd of burlescoers well yeah and they're not working then right so, yeah, yeah exactly it's it, it's 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 hard because, um, well, Doc and I have talked about this a lot. Like, I've said that going to see a show is not really like hanging out. It's like you're working. Like, right, of course. Like, I, I get to catch up with you for a second, but it's not like... And and I have the same problem when we do shows, you know? Like, And it's hard because when we travel, my friends in whatever town will come to the show. And it's like I have to keep moving most yeah. of the time. And half the time I'm carrying a camera and yeah. stuff. So it's like, you know. Well, and as your responsibilities increase, I imagine that's hap happened more too. Like for me, when I first started DJing for Ross Bosco, I was literally playing the songs that, the, that, that, that were provided to me on a computer. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm helping build some of the playlists. I'm helping. I always help with some stage management to some capacity. And like... So you're interacting with the show or the event differently, too, probably. Oh, completely. Well, I mean, yeah, I was generally the point of contact for the venue and everything and helping out with the tech. And then also, like, 
checking in with our security people because we had legit security concerns at sure. some of the spaces. So it was, yeah, <laughs> like it's weird to be doing a comedy show and then handed like a dossier on people you need to keep an eye out for. It's like, oh God. Yeah. Sometimes I wish they would pass that around at burlesque shows at this point. Um, there's just, there's, I mean, that was another thing like with, as a guy who's an active feminist, who's trying to be the best of his gender, which isn't that hard at this point, all things considered how shitty men have been. <laughs> um, which I say with our, no irony. Our, our new compliment at work is thanks for not being a rapist. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. The you bar know, is so low. <laughs> I know, the bar is so low. But, like, um, I'm at a point now where between the bullshit going on in the burlesque industry and, like, all the stuff coming out in the news, which is good. It has to, like, people have to speak up. Mm -hmm. It's just been so exhausting as a person who just wants to be better. And, of course, like, mm -hmm. it's not – I'm not coming from a perspective of, oh, boo-hoo, feel bad for me. I'm a white guy. But it, it is – as someone who's always been a good person who's trying to better himself and continue to lift the rest of his, mm -hmm. his sex up – it's just exhausting now because there's just so much of it. And, like, especially, like, when it's people you respect coming out. Like, when it's Louis C.K. or T.J. Miller, well, those guys were fucking assholes anyway. It was a matter of time. Like, no one's surprised. But when you hear, like, George Takai had done something, Takai, Takai. <laughs> but like, people that you respect or understood or thought you understood, you know, Kevin Spacey, all of this stuff comes out and you're like... Fuck. Like, I mean, the reality is, and I've seen it online a lot, I need more female role models. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, for Wonder Woman, uh, beyond anything else, she is a Jewish woman playing a predominantly white character and has been an inspiration to young girls mm -hmm. across the board. I know. I just, I really wish that she hadn't come into her power by remembering the words of the dude she lost her virginity to, you know? I know. It's so disappointing. I know. I know. <laughs> but, but you know, it continues to prove that people are imperfect and that we're like we're not there are there are like all I keep saying every day is please Helen Mirren stay perfect. Oh god, I know, right? Like that would actually she, break me. She's the only one like it's her and Weird Al, I think. Like if either of them and that was the only like really wonderful thing to come out of. I think it was when when um Louis C.K was exposed for bullshit that we all knew for years. Uh, someone started a chain, some other celebrity started a chain of like, oh God, please let Weird Al still be a good person. And then it just became a chain of tweets of people talking about these wonderful experiences they've had with Weird Al Yankovic. That's nice. And so that was wonderful to yeah. read. But it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, there are some mornings where I wake up and go, well, who is it next? You know, um, maybe week two or something of, of the whole sexual harassment apocalypse yeah um, I, I wound up thanking all of the dudes that i had worked with over the years that not only never harassed me but were also never condescending never you know because but the, that was the other thing where it's like also i've been freelancing for 20 years like do you know how many people i've worked with this is a list of like 25 people i've worked with thousands right. and, it's just, and it's depressing it's just depressing it's so bad yeah and it, it's gotten to a point now where it's even like you know talking about interacting with media i you know i host this show 
I have another podcast with two other white dudes, and then I have a gaming podcast with another white dude. Like, mm-hmm. and it's not that I don't want to diversify, but the the legitimate fact that the majority, a lot of my friends are white, and I'm and I I'm trying to, you know, it's not like I consciously made that decision. Right. It's just kind of the way society, you know, where you grew up, who you interacted with initially, the places that you go socially, yeah. and what you do, yeah. And I mean, it's a good reminder too for everybody to like push past their comfort level yep. and go out to meet other people because half the reason that people are racist or sexist is because they never have other viewpoints yeah you know and it's like that's the biggest way to do it is to have personal experience with other people that you respect and that's why like i always try on this show to have a diverse group of people that i talk to and you know even that's been hard because like i just i know so many white dudes i know a lot (laughs) of white dudes there's a lot of them and you know and so you know i'm just trying to i'm always trying to be better like i want to praise sydney Devereaux for a moment and i don't even know if she listens But when I've been working for her at um, Le Poisson Rouge since the show has started, for Mm -hmm. the most part, there are a few shows I've missed, but for the most part, I've been her DJ. But there's one show where I don't think I've talked about this publicly yet, and I hope it's okay. It's something she called me out on. Um, She had a, a woman do sound instead of me and noticed that the the woman who was working in my position came to her with more stuff mm-hmm. you know questions about the venue questions about the show making sure things worked a certain way and i wasn't and it wasn't because i was actively going sydney doesn't need to know it was because i know my stuff and also i'm a white guy so they asked me i gave them an answer and it was done yeah and she pointed it out to me and she yeah. said look i never noticed it either until someone else was in the role yeah can we try not to do this and i was like absolutely thank you for telling me yeah. and like i've thanked her at least three times and i'll thank her again on the air for pointing it out to me because yeah. i don't want to be that guy yeah i never want to be that guy well and it's it's one of the things that just gets taken for granted that yeah, yeah. i mean when I was editing, you know, even even men that I, like, was on good terms with, I've had people go into my projects and be like, I fixed that for you. I was like, who the hell asked you to? And also, I was still working, you yeah. know? Like, for, yeah, totally. Or, or you know, uh, explaining something to me on a system that I built, you know? Right. <laughs> I'm like, no, for oh. sure. And it's like, and I wasn't taking charge from a place of, like, I know better than no, her. No, no. I was taking charge from a place of, I know these things, so I'll do it. And I didn't think, like, they didn't think to ask Sydney because some white guy told them, this is what we're doing. Right. You know, and it never even occurred to me until she pointed it out. Yeah. And so I'm so thankful for that because now I'm looking at every interaction I have with another white dude and mm-hmm. going... Are they doing that thing? Mm -hmm. Should I, you know, and I try and double check and I try, like, oh, it happened again at Bizarre Bushwick. A group of DJs, I'm not going to call them out because they were genuinely fairly nice, but they were trying to pre-set up before our burlesque show that we were, that I was hosting. And I was the host and I am a producer for Magical Girl Burlesque, but I'm not the only producer. And the company was built by three women who brought me on as producer later because of my knowledge and because of how involved I had been. And they kept, these DJs kept coming to me and going, so you're the producer, right? And I would go, I'm one of the producers. Yes, what? Like, mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. And it got to a point where it's like, talk to so-and-so. Because I don't want to be, like, I want to help and I want to be the buffer and I don't want them backstage. Yeah. And I'm happy to be that guy to tell them to go away. Right. But I also, I'm not the guy. I'm a guy. Mm-hmm. And it was important to assert that. But they just assumed I was the guy, so I must be the producer. I must be the ringleader. And, yeah. and I hated it and made me feel gross. 
when uh, when I was still doing film development for my company, I was going to festivals a lot and just like doing the door to door salesman thing at the booths, and. Um, I was thinking about going uh, to the Asian film market in uh, Hong Kong, and everybody I talked to was like, no, unless you've got a male partner, don't go. Nobody will take meetings with you. Wow. <laughs> like, no. Oh, and I was like, and then I was furious, and then I'm like, fuck it, it's not worth it. Like, what am I going to do? Be mad and then spend a ton of my own money to go out there and have that actually be the case? That's yeah. not worthwhile. But. Yeah, when we were when we were planning the tour at first, um, since we had no idea like what kind of environment we'd be walking into, one of the things we talked about was like, do we need to just have like generic dude with us in case people get weird with us? You know, because I mean, yeah. we were we were traveling through Southern and Middle America with a predominantly brown queer female group of people. Yeah, and so. Um, we were fortunate that we had we had security contacts in every at every venue, and so they would uh, you know like do due diligence for the show and everything and check things out. But we didn't have anybody traveling with us because, and we were lucky that it wasn't a problem. But it, as things get bigger too, and as things get more contentious in the middle of the country, it's like it's something we have to ask ourselves where it's like, God, do we? Do you need a figurehead to just be there? Right. Do we need some dude along who won't be an asshole about it, but could just be like our token dude? Yeah. (laughs) It's like not a thing you ever really had to think about. It's infuriating too. You know, like, God, I've probably been in more fist fights than most guys I would ask to be our security. You know, like. Yeah. No, it's totally. And like, I'm on the other end. Like, I am a fairly effeminate, not violent fairly emotional person you know and like you're a white dude with a beard yeah and people would take you more seriously you were like leave the ladies alone sure and it it aggravates the hell out of me and it's also one of those things where like you know growing up of course because you know besides the fact that i am by like the fact that i would cry at the drop of a hat that i was very emotional that i was very open it's like oh you're gay and all of that bullshit that you grow up with and it's like it doesn't stop the toxic masculinity still exists it's so easy to feel sheltered when you're in a group of people who understand each other and that's Mm -hmm. part of the problem I've had with the burlesque community too and why I've started to branch out into the drag community I have friends Mm -hmm. who perform there because I want new communities that I don't know all the people I don't know all their reactions Mm -hmm. I don't know how to be around them because I want to learn and continue to grow Yeah. because you, you kind of get into this bubble of well, this person understands me. Like, you know, we had a, I had a friend have a conversation with me about how, you know, we're on the upswing with racism and sexuality. I'm like, <sighs> we're, we're maybe on the upswing compared to the 30s. But, like, even still, it's like we're starting to swing back a little bit. Yeah. And, 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 and to be able to say that with confidence, of course, this person was a white guy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not necessarily his fault that he depending on where he is and who and who he knows that he may not be as educated in this kind of stuff because from his perspective his privileged perspective it is on the upswing but i mean your original point though about like continuing to learn and grow and meet new people i mean i think that's the most important thing anybody can do no matter where they fall on you know the map of like who gets taken seriously or respected because it's like we all everybody has work to do everybody can always learn more and be yep. better and 
the people that I have the most hope for as all this like harassment stuff comes out are the people who want to have a conversation about it, who are actually thinking about it and not afraid to ask somebody if they have fucked up. And yeah. I mean, that's all you can do. It's like, yeah. Like I remember hearing people have conversations about, Oh my God, I'm afraid something's going to get out. And it's like, dude, that's not the right, <laughs> that's not the right attitude. Like, and these aren't people I know. It's like, should yeah. I hear on the street? And mm-hmm. it's like, look, if, if I've harassed anybody in any capacity, I don't believe I'm a perfect person. Please call me out on that shit. I don't want to make those mistakes again. Yeah. I never want to make people feel uncomfortable. And, like, and, and it's bound to happen. Like, nobody's perfect, and people interact differently. Well, and we all grew up with horrible programming. Yes. So, you know, like, it, everybody has fucked up somewhere along the line. Sure. And everybody has room to get better. And and, uh, the desire to get better is really the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, also, like, I shouldn't say it's bound to happen. It shouldn't happen. But, like, people have made mistakes in their past. There should be a dialogue about it to get better and be better. And there's still no clear dialogue about that because a lot of it is still just coming to light. Well, yeah. People are still figuring it out. And, I, I mean, all the women I know are also, like, going through their own... Sort you have to relive weird. shit you've experienced. Well, and you re-examine all sorts of other stuff that happened that you never really considered to be a bad thing, and then like, all of a sudden you and have then to it question was it? it. Yeah, yeah, and and that's messing people up, you yeah. know. And and I think the next level of this is going to be everybody doing the same thing all over again about race. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. Like, that has to happen too and yeah. then you know then you get into like uh, sexuality and ableism and all of that like there's always room to get better because you've probably disrespected someone along the way and that's so it's not okay but as long as you are willing to face it and keep moving and get better like that's something that's well yeah like i always say i'm terrible with pronouns even even with people I know what their pronoun is, if they that day are prevented, if like if they go by they and they're presenting more feminine, mm-hmm. I my brain wants to say she, mm-hmm. and like but it's never like I don't want I want to deny them what they are, but right. my you know the people who've been really patient with me are like look I'm not mad you're trying, mm-hmm. it's the people who don't try that right. intentionally give the wrong pronoun or say these things that are the problem you want to learn right. you know and I'm so blessed to have quite a few friends who go by they that have been very patient with me and, you know, you know, will correct me or, you know, if I apologize profusely, you know, we'll say, don't worry about it. Like they're not, they're not just shaming me into, into, Mm -hmm. you know, but there are people I think who need to go through that experience too, Mm -hmm. because they're the people who are intentionally mislabeling people. Yeah. And it's a bummer. Yeah. Is that me? I think it is you. I'm so sorry. Podcast faux pas. No, oh it's fine. Oh my god! No, normally my phone is never on ring. That's really strange. <laughs> it's okay. I'd tell you I'd edit it out, but I don't edit, so you know it's fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. There, now it's now, now it won't ring. Um, I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I've been trying a lot harder to bring on perf- performers or personalities that I know either really well or don't know well at all. I'm like mm-hmm. we've always been in passing and very polite and I've always you know we've had conversations but I always wanted to know more about what you do and the things you work on because I've always I see your internet presence and I'm always very very impressed and and so I'm really thankful that you came on also because I think Lady Parts Justice League is something that people need to know about like I knew nothing about it until 
like I had known of it and I had an idea of what you guys did, but once that video came out and I watched it, I was like, well, this is glorious. Now I need, I want to do more research. And like, and that's the point, like people need to be informed and educated, but you also work on some really cool artistic stuff. Like thinking about, I pick photos for a photo gallery for the website of the guests. And like, I have a plethora of Alex Colby photos I can choose from of you with crazy hair. And like, like that glam photo shoot that you guys did. That was fun. Oh, I wanted to be a part of it so bad, but I didn't have enough glitter and tight pants that I could provide. <laughs> like I pretty much told Alex Colby, I was like, I have jeans and stuff. And he's like, you're not, I love you, but no. You know, I can't costume you, so you'll have to sit this one out. That's but. the first one I got Jesse to do too. Uh, and Alex had specifically requested him and he, he largely wears Carhartts and t-shirts. And so <laughs> I bought him some pants, he wore my jacket. We got to put a little eyeliner on him. It was great. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, Thanks for having me on. Before we, we, I have you do our sign off, where's the best place for people to find you on the internet and then Lady Parts Justice League on the internet? Um, the place that I am the most responsive on the internet is Facebook, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, my my company website has like a bunch of the art projects and that's spygirlpixpix.com mm-hmm. and Lady Parts Justice League is ladypartsjusticeleague.com and ladypartsjustice.com is RC4 that is about to do this big wild telethon in in February and then we are doing the Golden Probe Awards again in the fall and awesome. trying to get it at a, a very large venue that I'm pretty excited about. That's so, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, um, again, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I'm hoping that we get to interact more frequently yeah. in the near future. Um, we have a saying on this show that I adopted from my previous show and I had created, which is kind of indicative of just kind of enjoying and trying to live your life to the best of your ability while making things better for others. I think I'm over explaining, but it's music is life and life is good. So if you would do our sign off, I would greatly appreciate it. Sure. Just say music is life and life is good. Yep. Okay, great. (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.